They patrol the monuments to gridiron legends, but you better get the hell out of the way when they come rolling through. Randy Heights and Ryan Chapman are the Heisman Park Rangers, presented by the Highball Network. Well, Randy, the Big Ten returned. There were a bunch of weird games all over the country today, and the Sooners finally just rolled a team. They strolled to a, I don't want to call it an easy victory, but it looked easy based off of the last three games. So it, it almost felt like a, a normal college football weekend that we were accustomed to, eh? Yeah, no, I'll say this. It did. I mean, you've got all these games going on this weekend. Hey, as much as I don't like the Big Ten, and I know Ohio State's in it, but I think it's kind of a blah league that gets a lot of love just for the teams that are in it that may get too much love than they deserve. Like, I don't know. Let's say you're Michigan's. Let's say you're Penn State's, especially. Yes, especially with what happened today. Yeah, they go up to Indiana and get beat. And, you know, and everyone can go, oh, yeah, but they lost an overtime by two. But let's be real. If you watch the first half of that game, they they got it handed to them a little bit. I mean, they were they had a chance to cut it. I believe it was seven points and missed a field goal on a stupid play by Indiana where they fumbled the ball. But I mean, yeah, I mean, Indiana had control of that game and gave it up in the second half. So, I mean, it was just nice to have real football on throughout the day. I guess, I guess that's the thing, too. Whether it's well, good or bad, we had football all day long with at least some decent games throughout the day. And I was about to say, like, yes, obviously, those of you that get here are like, what the hell is happening? This is the postgame pod for the Oklahoma Sooners. The Sooners prevailed 33-14 to 14 against the TCU Horned Frogs. We have a ton of that to come immediately after this. But I feel like with the return of the Big Ten, we need to spend just two or three moments on this Penn State-Indiana game. Because though uh, any other week it would have got buried because it was the season opener, so much stuff came out of this game. First and foremost, we have to talk about Penn State may have lost on the scoreboard. They may have been on the wrong side of that unfortunate review, uh, a raw deal at the hands of the big Penix, Penis, Penix, whatever his name is. Uh, But I have to say, Randy, I think the Michigan defense, not Michigan, excuse me, the Penn State defense wins college football today because they entered the fray in the race to the greatest turnover memorabilia, whatever, on the sideline. I don't know if you saw this, Randy, but the Penn State defense does not have a turnover chain. They do not have the six-point drum or whatever that Cincinnati has. They have a turnover thank you card in which the person that has the turnover gets to hold up these two big <sighs> poster boards, which look which look like they're like play-calling boards, and it says, we appreciate your contributions to a brighter future for us and our program. <laughs> Sincerely, the Penn State defense. Okay, I, I'll admit, I didn't get to see it. I was doing some driving around, you know, and everything after the OU game, so I did not get to see that. And when you first you said thank you card, I was moaning because I thought, great, how soft can we get? Now, the fact it's trolling the other po- team, I love it. Uh, and it's, it's, it's signed, good looking out. The Penn State defense. And I think this is the most incredible piece of just trolling that uh, has been allowed on a college football sideline in quite a while. I I love it, especially in 2020. I'm surprised somebody hasn't complained about how that's mean to the other team. You know, I mean, that's the way 2020 seems to be going. So, yeah, 
all right, I like it. I'm going to give it up to Penn State. Hey, you lose to a bad team, but hey, you, you got some turnover memorabilia, if you will. I like and it. we were talking about this. Yeah, we were talking about this Friday night of we'd wondered where the where the the fun sideline antics were for the Sooners. I, I kind of mentioned, mm-hmm. hey, remember, we had the sledgehammer incident, which the Sooners, you know, Buki runs out onto the field with the sledgehammer for like four weeks. They don't get any turnovers and we never know what it's for. And it just happens to disappear. Last year, Alex Grinch and Lincoln Riley tried to make the holding the one fist in the air for the crowd be a thing. And then they went on their turnover drought immediately after that was announced. So we never really got to see that come to fruition. Who knows? Maybe the Sooners get on, get in on the fun and the back half of this season. Maybe, maybe eventually, but overall, I mean, you just like to see teams having fun on the sidelines. And speaking of that with Oklahoma, that's what they seem to do today. Were there issues? Let, let's not paint the rosiest picture. It wasn't perfect, but Ryan, in a way, this was four quarters of quality football for this team, both sides of the ball. Well, yes, they had their ups and, and downs, but still, it was four quarters. Well, and it's almost like we've we've said it doesn't have to be four quarters of elite football. The Sooners just need to have four solid quarters together, and they're going to hit that ceiling of really tough to beat, and it's going to take your best game out to do it. And and today, Randy, I think the TCU offense, I kind of want to start with the OU defense because for as awful as I think Sonny Cumbie and crew called this game offensively for TCU, we we said it all week that Oklahoma defensive line is for real, and and it really just scrapped any game plan TCU had because Max Duggan had absolutely no time today to do anything that he wanted to do. Yeah, exactly, and I think it showed, too, with the way that defensive line played. Did they give up a few big plays in the passing game? Yes, because I I think we've got to realize this. And people that think when they watch game going, why are they still giving up big plays? This defense isn't a complete unit yet in the sense it's going to take one or two more recruiting classes to get to what Alex Grinch wants. But this defensive line lets those defensive backs be better. And in fact, you saw the big plays they gave up. Those were the few plays where the defensive line didn't get the pressure and it gave Dugan a little time to, you know, buy time and the receivers some, you know, extra time to get open, you know. So it's not a defense, but this defensive line it's a four-man unit, and it almost doesn't matter what four are out there playing that line that cause havoc in the backfield. I mean, three ta- three sacks this today, nine tackles for loss. Do you really want – I mean, can you ask for much more out of a defensive line right now? Oh, absolutely, and it's we, – we've kind of talked about already how, you know, Isaiah Thomas has been kind of the story of the season in the defensive line, things like that. Randy, if you look at the contributors today, Jordan Kelly from out of nowhere, three tackles to lead that unit, you know, pretty much. Then you had Perron Winfrey doing his thing, Josh Ellison, Isaiah Thomas, but Leron Stokes had a really good time today. He was flashing. Marcus Stripling had that big sack there early on. Like it, it literally is players from every position in that two deep. This is like Alex Grinch's dream. This is what he wants to be able to do is roll out a two deep that he can rotate through. And and that I think was the big thing for me today, seeing a Jordan Kelly go out there because the first time that he made that uh, tackle, I was like, holy crap, mm-hmm. that's Jordan Kelly in the backfield. I, 
I would honestly, I was like, this guy's still on the team. I thought we had given up on the Jordan Kelly experience long ago, but no, um, it's just a credit to what Calvin Thibodeau and Jamar Kane have done with this unit. You know, uh, Thibodeau's had a little bit more time than Kane working with them, but they've turned this unit into a bunch of playmakers that is now, in my opinion, the best and most consistent unit on the entire football team, which is crazy to think that halfway through the season, we'd be saying the defensive line is the most consistent unit. And it's a good thing. No, no doubt. And I think you're exactly right with that being the case. And you bring up Jordan Kelly and that, that first play he made was, you know, a reverse TC was running. He blew it up. He was six yards in the backfield. And you talk about the consistency of this unit. And it's not just that they're consistent. All of a sudden, Jordan Kelly's a factor. It's like they're finding more guys to rotate in there. And I'm not the world beaters, but world beaters are not. When you look at a defensive line, really from the last couple of years, including last year with Neville Gallimore, they never got this pressure. And that's not a slam on Neville. They never got this type of penetration other than the Texas game last year. Now, all of a sudden, you've got four, five, six, seven guys that you think, oh, at any point in time, that guy can be in the backfield. And my my buffering on my computer happened for a second. I don't know if you mentioned Ellison, but he played another good game, and they weren't even sure how healthy he was for this week. And he came out and contributed as well. So, I mean, this defensive line should give Oklahoma fans hope as this season moves on. Well, And I think the craziest part about all of this is if you had put a finger on the two guys you expected to be the biggest contributors – Coming into this season at the end of last year, you probably would have set off the jump Jalen Redmond and Ronnie Perkins. Well, one of those guys yeah. has opted out. One of those guys is suspended. And at this point, we don't know if yeah. he even will return next week based on some of the reports that are out there. Um, don't really want to delve too much into that. But uh, I think it's just an even bigger feather in the cap of Thibodeau and Jamar Kane that those two guys are gone. You've had Perrion Winfrey come in, make that transition from Juco. Same with Ellison. They've both come in and look like they belong immediately. And, and this group is just electric. And, and it's it's honestly been bizarre because I'm most excited every time the defense comes out because I get to see how is this group going to get mm -hmm. after the quarterback because, like you said, Randy, the, the secondary behind them is not complete. The linebacker play, it, it's come along a little bit. It's just inconsistent. So if you're telling me, that this is an Oklahoma defense that can legitimately bring a three or four man rush and feel okay about that. It's going to be able to cover some holes for a year or two. We've kind of talked last pod about how you're going to have some depth like this for a while because of the, the weird circumstances we're in. But uh, I guess it kind of transitions into look other than um, Delarian Turner yell. He did miss that tackle on, I believe it was, was it the big pro Wells scamper that uh, Turner yell kind of missed the tackle. But other than that, uh, Outside of one guy that I don't know if we really want to pick on him too much, I thought the secondary played okay, considering that this is a, a pretty talented, albeit young, wide receiver core for uh, TCU. Hey, I'm not going to bag on the guy. Yeah, I thought they played pretty good, but I know what you're talking about on the secondary. And for me, it's hard because I'll be honest, I've tried to defend the kid because I think there's been times, and, and let's, I mean, we got to bring it up. I mean, it's the elephant in the room. There's been times that Buki, I thought, has played well when people have even gotten back on him, but it almost seems like these last three weeks, he can't get it out of his own way. And I'm almost to the point with him and, and with how this unit is playing and starting to play better everywhere else but his spot. And this isn't going to be a slam on him. I'm not saying he should never see the field again or anything like that. 
but I'm almost to the point like, hey, should they do something with him? Kind of like what they did with Rattler, you know, in the Texas game where you set him down and say, just get your head together. But maybe Buki, instead of needing just one quarter, hey, this game, you know what, Buki? Sit back and watch everything. We're going to need you the rest of the season, but we need your head to get on straight. And it's it's just so bizarre, Randy, because obviously he's not the caliber of football player that Landry Jones is, but he has he's the Landry Jones of the defense. And kind of what I mean by that is it seems like Twitter is absolutely split every time like you watch a game and just as a part of the job that we're in, we have to experience the game on Twitter for better or for worse. I understand Twitter's not real life, all that stuff, but it's hard to get past how polarizing the guy is on Twitter because on one hand you look at the box score Buki led the team in tackles with nine tackles Mm -hmm. Um, eight of those tackles were solo he shared a tackle for loss there so you're saying okay that's pretty good out of that nickelback position that's kind of asked to sort of set the edge at times in in this off or in this defense that Alex Grinch calls it's kind of a weird you know um, just position and then you've also got on the other hand the guys that uh, are not happy with how he gets dragged for three or four yards occasionally. And, and, and then um, because of that, he then gets up and starts talking trash, things like that. Um, there was a former Sooner who I, I'm kind of trying to look for his tweet right now. Nick Harris. And I can't. Yeah, Nick Harris. I can't find it right now. So I don't know uh, if it was I, deleted. I but gone back and uh, looked during the, But uh, yeah, during the game, Nick Harris, former mm-hmm. Sooner, literally tweeted out like, He's not a good football player. That's about as blunt as it gets. And and it's just so bizarre because like I think we can all say that Buki obviously has moments where you can understand the hype. You can understand. You see all that talents there. I think the knock on him up until this game has kind of always been the talents there. And then he has the targeting penalty or he has, you know, just a, a dumb, unnecessary penalty that, that brings a, a big playback today. I felt like it was just. Every time the camera was on him, it was like, oh, no, what is going on now? Because uh, getting dragged, things like that. It just it wasn't a great day for Buki. No doubt about it. And, and that's that's the thing for him. And we could spend a whole segment on it. But I think things like, I mean, I'll admit I saw Nick Harris's tweet today. And even I know our friend Rufus Alexander kind of did a gif right behind it, kind of like shaking his head with it, you know, going, I, I don't know. I mean. And, you know, when you start seeing defensive guys say this stuff, that's where I go back to the thing. Hey, it's time to give him some time off just for the kids sake. I Because back to this, they're college kids. And I almost hate to see it. When a college kid is left in a bad situation time and time again, especially in this day and age, you mentioned it with social media, where, I mean, mom and dad have to see it. These kids are on social media. They see it when they're, you know, when the game's over, the next day, whenever it is, they decide to get back on Twitter, what Instagram, and they're having to see this stuff. So sometimes I'm like, let's just give the kid a break. Let's, you know, give him some out of the spotlight. Well, and all you have to do is look to that same secondary because Trey Brown, um, we're not talking about him really because of how good of a day he had. He was pretty much blanketing anyone that he was on and just wasn't really thrown at. And uh, one member of the Oklahoma media kind of pointed that out and was like, we're not talking about Trey Brown today. And and it's a good thing because he's been that good. And you see no more than 30 minutes after the game, Trey Brown has quote tweeted that tweet, you know, firing himself up, things like that. Mm -hmm. So you may say, you know, 
if you're out there thinking all oh, these kids don't see it, things like that. No, everyone absolutely sees it. And it's just wild. But we did see Jeremiah Cordell get in there for a few more snaps. Yep. And uh, it, it looks like they're they're trending more toward a um, split of time. But it, it's just uh, I, I hate to pile on, but I felt like it had to be addressed because today it was the most glaring I felt like of all season long. Yeah, well, I, I don't know. It's hard to top what happened at Iowa State. I mean, we're what right. It was more just because the receivers were so much bigger than him. So maybe you could say today was worse because it wasn't just, hey, he's got a 6'5 receiver he's covering and he's just tackling him, you know, causing a pass interference. It did seem like there were a lot of bonehead plays. And I guess to me, that's the reason it stuck out more for me today because my one defense I've always had. I was going to say, maybe today it's just that against Iowa State, um, there also were a few other players. There were a bunch of dropped interceptions, things like that. Almost a testament to how well the rest of the defense played today that this is the one guy you could circle and say he he had a head scratcher. Maybe that's what it is. Because you're right. Iowa State was a uh, a day that a lot of everyone on the defense would like to forget, probably. Yeah, but, but probably to me, the reason it sticks out today maybe being worse for Buki. My one defense has always been, hey, he, he may have made that punch, but you got to look at it. He was at least smart. He was in the right. He was doing the right things, you know, up to a certain point. Today was kind of that day where I just look back going, you're what what's at least been the one defense for you that, you know, football, you at least know where to be. You may be that undersized guy. Maybe that's your big problem at this level. Okay, now you're not even doing that. So now it's kind of like. Let's give the kid a break. That's why I keep going back. Give him a break. Give him the next game off especially Texas Tech, they're not Mike Leach. They're not Lincoln Riley offense. They don't want to throw it around the yard as much, but they do, do still throw the ball. Let's let Buki have a weekend off. He's an emergency. Yeah, for sure. For sure, for sure. One last thing on the defense here before we kind of switch gears. So, Randy, obviously, it's one of those, you know, catch-22 here of uh, Oklahoma held TCU to 14 points, held them to only 75 yards rushing, Five of 14 on third down. So all in all, great defensive performance. But um, another game that Oklahoma didn't force a turnover. Is that a problem for you today? Or or do you just chalk that up to kind of what TCU is doing? Similar to Kansas State. of They just wanted to get the ball out so quickly that really you were only going to force a turnover if there was a fumble. You know, I don't think it's a concern because I think we'd all been crazy if we thought they were going to get another two or three turnovers after what happened in Texas. Because again, this is a defense that hadn't been for forcing turnovers. I think the concern for me is if next week they don't at least get one. And it's the only reason it starts to be concerning is do they start overemphasizing it again and it start having issues that take away from what they're doing right this past week and even in the overtime against Texas in the first, what, 57 minutes of that game against Texas. I mean, in a way, this is two okay, good games, if you will, for the defense minus three minutes in the overtime. I mean, so you don't want to lose that momentum you have by worrying about turnovers. So that's my only thing. I don't have a big concern for that. Yeah, and I think TCU deserves a lot of credit today too because so what Alex Grinch preached over the bye week is that like forcing fumbles, for instance, Mm -hmm. the first guy there obviously has to make the tackle and it's on everyone else to get there to strip the ball. I felt like, again, outside of, of the one bad you know missed tackle that led to that big pro wells run in that first half i felt like other than that you saw guys wrapping up and then the second or third guy getting there and trying to rip it out so i feel like at some point you, you give props to OU for the effort 
you give props to TCU for for playing with great ball security, for doing their job. And, and you just say, hey, you look at special teams. Uh, Oklahoma almost forced a fumble. on. It was close on the opening kickoff or, or the first kickoff they sent back that way. There was the punt fiasco where was it a fair catch, wasn't it a fair catch, that thing where they forced the fumble there. I, I feel like it's one of those things that those guys are obviously, even though it's special teams, the defensive players are still being coached by Alex Grinch and the other periods of practice. That that's that that mentality bleeding over of everyone doing what they can. So I'm not too worried about it, but I know anytime a team coached by Alex Grinch doesn't force a turnover because we know that that probably took a year off of Alex Grinch's life, yeah. despite despite the good performance, it's, it's always going to be a question. No, no doubt. And it will be, I'm sure, Tuesday at the press conference when, you know, Grinch comes on Tuesday afternoon, actually, when they meet with the media. That'll be questions. That'll be things he brings up. I'm sure Riley will mention it. But in the grand scheme of things, again, for a defense that's been so maligned for so many years, and again, not making them out to be world beaters this year, guys, let, let's just be happy they went out and did the things a defense needs to do in the grand scheme of things. If turnovers was the one thing they didn't accomplish today and they kept the other errors down to a minimal number, what's wrong with that? Why, why would Oklahoma fans complain about that now because this is a defense two years ago if that's all that would have happened wrong in games fans would have been jumping up and down for joy yeah people would be rejoicing absolutely rejoicing but four good quarters from the defense and and randy i think a lot of the credit for that also has to go to the offense because the offense mm-hmm. did some growing up today. Though it's not 60 points on the board and 8,000 yards or whatever, uh, the offense put up 33 points, but they played complimentary football. They finished too shy of 500, a good day on the ground, a buck 66 on the ground. But but Randy, the story today, Spencer Rattler, only 22 pass attempts, 13 to 22 for 332 and two touchdowns. Marvin Mims had the huge day, first Sooner receiver this season to go over 100 yards. He finished with 132 and two touchdowns. He had that 61-yarder and the 50-yard bomb. He only scores from 50-yard bombs. Theo Weiss had a great day, three catches, 87 yards. TJ Pledger, second consecutive game. He's over 100 yards, 22 attempts, 122 yards. And most importantly, Randy, when the defense would stop TCU, and give mm-hmm. the offense the ball back with a chance to extend the lead. Sure, they kicked too many field goals today, probably, if they're playing a better opponent, but the important thing is they took the ball, they ate some clock to keep the defense at that high level, keep them rested, and they put points on the board to extend the lead, which is the exact thing they haven't done against Kansas State, Iowa State, or Texas to get into those holes. No doubt, and I will say this on the offense, couple of, you know, I thought they did everything well, or not everything, but, you know, a lot of things well. And, and if you want to hear me, my side, I know you talked about the things to brag on. My concern a little bit, and it's not because I like the fact they ran the ball in the fourth quarter. They helped milk that clock weight. I did feel like there were times, though, even in the second half, and some in the first half, where Riley was a little too conservative at times, especially today, because you could see that out of Rattler, you know, him being that way, maybe in a Texas game where he's already made some mistakes. Iowa State where he's made some mistakes. Rattler played really well today. I mean, yeah, only 22 passes, but, I mean, you look at those throws he made, and there were at least, and this is kind of the other negative one, you keep saying you need that safety blanket. Austin Stogner, I thought, was turning into that. It's one game. I'm not going to say he's not going to be that. But in the first half, Ryan, he was thrown to four times on third down. 
he had three drop balls that yeah. were perfectly thrown. And you're just going, come on, man. And it was with like a five, six guy gardening. Yeah, the, the I think the real problem was that one or two times that Stogner was matched up against Hodges Tomlinson, um, the smaller corner there for TCU, and he wasn't able to use his body mm-hmm. to, to make that catch. If you're going up against Trevin Morig, Morig, not quite sure how you say that last name, but that's an NFL caliber safety right there. So if you're telling yeah, me still. if you're telling me he's 50-50 on that, this young in his career, maybe not used to getting that caliber of a matchup game to game. I'm cool with that. But yeah, the, the problem really came when he when Stogner was unable to, to body up Hodges Tomlinson on that one or two in the first half. But I thought Stogner got better as the game went he on. He did. I just think that today was such an interesting game offensively because it seemed like like it's very apparent that Lincoln Riley and Spencer Rattler in this offense felt the best way to attack TCU was vertically down the field. There were not a ton of middle, you know, shorter to mid range passes really even attempted today. It seemed like it was either going to be a run or going for it all down the field, which the way that it worked out, it's hard to hard to blame when you don't have that pressure of having to score because the defense is playing well. It, it was just interesting how that played out. But you're right. It, it was a weird um, game and it felt like almost it came off as conservative. But uh, I think it worked out for whatever their game plan was today. Yeah, no, I mean, that's what I'm saying. It works out. But I just think there were certain times where, you know, if they do a couple of different things here and there, maybe instead of settling for a field goal or you know, punting after a three-minute drive. You know, maybe that's turned into a drive that now takes five or six minutes, just having a little bit more creativity. And you mentioned TJ Pledger, I know, tweeted out in the game. I mean, here's a guy I kept thinking in the first half when they were having some offensive problems. I'm like, hey, look, this is not a slam. Seth McGowan is really good. And if you want me to say who's going to be the best back at the next level, who's going to maybe be a high draft pick, Yeah, it's Seth McGowan, but he's not there right now. And that's when they had a little offensive struggles in the first half. I was like, wait, TJ Pledger's first carry was, I believe, 13 yards. And then you don't see him for the next two series. I'm like, what in the world? I get wanting the freshman to do it, and he may have the highest upside, but Pledger's doing it right now. Especially with that touchdown run on the first drive, Randy, Mm -hmm. where he flat out just ran over a dude like like when you see that that that's that kind of thing where you say obviously he's cooking just keep feeding him i don't care if it's just been one drive he's cooking feed him yeah exactly i mean he bitch slapped that guy as he crossed the goal line just like get out of my (laughs) way no i mean it was crazy and here's a guy that's short and he's stocky and people don't expect that power out of him but he did it and then you talk about in the second half when they run the ball back to again I want Seth McGowan to get a ton of touches because I think his upside is tremendous. But finally, in the second half, when they said, you know what, we're going to help the defense out, we're going to run the ball, look who came in, and look what they were able to do. It was T.J. Pledger, who I, I don't know how many weeks I can preach this. Maybe Lincoln will give me a call, and I'll give him some advice. I, I'm sure I'm sure I'd be a great help to the staff. you know. But Obviously, yes, th- obviously. Yeah. Th- this guy, I just like what he does. You see the difference. He sees the hole, he hits the hole. That's that's what you got to do. So do, do you think and maybe this is us getting ahead of ourselves here, but with the expectation that Ramondre Stevenson comes back in, I think it's going to be interesting how TJ Pledger is utilized, because like you said, he, he definitely is one of those guys that um, he's listed at 193 pounds. That's obviously 100 percent muscle, no body fat, because this dude is just a monster. And, and it's interesting because you think that Stevenson will get 
the vast share of the carries, but Pledger, we say change of pace back. Is it really that change of pace? They kind of have similar running styles of they're really hard nosed and they're going to try and run over you. The difference is that Stevenson's just carrying a little more weight behind his, uh, you know, truck stick. Yeah, no, I think there's a little bit of difference. And the one difference is they're both power guys. You know, I mean, you're right there. But I think the other thing is Pledger's a little shiftier. You know, he's got a little bit of that shiftiness and that'll be the change of pace. I think the more interesting question, because back to, I think McGowan's upside's tremendous. I think the more interesting question when you get Stevenson back, how do they then start using McGowan? Because I really don't want to see a bunch of carries go, go to McGowan where Pledger's basically the third team back at that point in time. I don't think you can do that, but I want to see McGowan in there because you saw what he brings in in the vertical passing game on that deep ball early in the first half, it took me a second to realize, holy crap, that's McGowan out there split out wide that caught that long bomb. I mean, that's a guy, you get him matched up on a safety, he's going to take to eat his lunch every time. I think, Randy, honestly, a lot of unlocking this running back conundrum here lies at the feet of Anton Harrison and Chris Murray. Because we saw today, we saw today in the first half, it was Swenson and it was Robinson, the left tackle and the right guard. They were, they were rolled with them all first half. And though on the first drive, the first drive looked like a vintage Lincoln Riley offense, balling people up front. And then just as you're concerned about stopping the run, Rattlers dropping dimes over the top. And I was just like, oh, this looks like the OU offense. And then the rest of that first half, it was rough. and, And the Sooners were fighting for every single yard on the ground. The very limited action that we saw Chris Murray in, he kind of flashed that ability that we've all been talking about. When Anton Harrison came in in the second half, that left side looked a lot better. And here's the deal. I was talking about this, um, Randy, when when I filled in for our friend Brady Trantham. I was talking with Keegan Renault, and Keegan was big on this. OU's really had their most success when they've had to have two tight ends or two of the H-backs on the line. We saw a lot of Stogner and Jeremiah Hall on the line of scrimmage today. And like I told him then, like I've told you, We've seen this story before, and we've seen it in Stillwater, where Mike Gundy has to get has to get creative with the Cowboy backs. And while it helps the run game, it you take away some of that explosiveness of the offense because you don't get to put four five star wide receivers on the field if you're having to load up on H backs to to help max protect and to help in the run game. Whereas if Harrison can come in, if Murray can come in and take those jobs over full time and be much more efficient if you can block with five guys instead of seven guys that allows you to show more looks with a Stevenson and a pledger or a Stevenson and a McGowan. And then the problem kind of goes away a little bit because then it's get open and make the plays and you're on the field. Everyone's getting a little more opportunity. Well, and also I think without Harrison in there and you know, those H backs having to do more of the blocking, like you're talking about, it takes away a little bit of what Jeremiah Hall was like against Ohio State. He was a factor other than being a blocking guy. And now it seems like, especially when Harrison's not in there, he's back to being that blocking guy because he's got to be the guy that helps there. And also another negative to that, I think Mikey Anderson's a guy that's been underutilized in the few times he's got to catch the ball. You see some special things out of him. He's not ready to be that Jeremiah Hall. He's not quite the blocker. He's not a blocker. So that takes another potential offensive weapon pretty much out of your arsenal, you know, just because that's guys not ready to do that. And so 
yeah, I would love to see next week, even if you start Swenson, if Murray's up to it stamina-wise and everything, that's when you just go, hey, after the first series, all right, Murray, Harrison, have at it. This is our line. Here we go. I just, I I can't comprehend the Swenson-Harrison thing at this point in the season. I, I totally understand the Chris Murray bringing him in and then maybe saying, okay, talk to him if he doesn't feel like he's into game shape, stuff like that. I get that. But by this time, even if Harrison missed some time at the beginning of the year, you are far enough into the season Every time that Harrison comes in, it looks like the offense gets an immediate jolt and they start moving the ball on the ground. And I'm just like, you know, and here's the thing. If we are seeing that, you know, damn well, someone as good at their job as Lincoln Riley, Bill Biedenboe, that whole staff, they all see it. There has to be a reason. I know it's been asked over and over and the question just kind of gets danced around. Randy, what's your best shot at it? Because I've got no idea. I'm at a loss. I have no idea because I'll go back to what I've preached for four weeks on the Harrison thing since he's been back. He was listed as your starter on the opening depth chart. So I guess that's, you know, he was listed as second team in that game. And even though he had to miss for those reasons and everything against Missouri State, I don't think I would have as big a problem of understanding it right now. But this guy was listed as your starter. And it's not like Swenson's out there going, you're going, oh, I can see where that battle was tough, you know, in, in fall camp and everything. No, you've mentioned it. All of a sudden, backs that are having problems getting two or three yards or in there once Harrison checks in, getting four or five yards. They're, they're chewing up clock. They're chewing up yardage, and the drives are not stalling out. Rattler has forever in the pocket compared to, I've got to do some sidestepping here and running. So I don't get it. So, no, I, I don't have an answer for you, Ryan, because, I can't figure out why a depth chart says one thing before the season, but we're now to game five and it's not back to the one that was announced before game one. Yeah, it's bizarre, but it's, that's the only thing I can say for. And, uh, yeah, I'm just at a loss. The dispensaries in Norman have to be from fans doing bang up business. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's puzzling and it's, and it's frustrating. indica you get the indica i'll get the sativa we'll be fine mix and match all that stuff i guess the good thing is you got texas tech and you got kansas Mm -hmm. on the horizon and then a bye week so you'd think rolling to osu um, plenty of time for if it's a fitness thing for whoever needs to get fit plenty of time to get back into game shape stuff like that it's just bizarro world in my opinion but um moving on to another portion of the offense off this negative tangent uh, one thing i really love today randy is is the um, we talk about complimentary football all the time and and this was the problem that OU got into in the fourth quarter Mm -hmm. in the cotton bowl it's they were up two touchdowns and given the ball uh, oh i forget it's been a few weeks but two or three times it seems like the defense gave them the ball back with a chance to just go get a field goal the game's on ice and you're done. Today, we had a little of that almost. Oh, you went up 10-0. Mm-hmm. And then the defense forced a quick three and out. And you're going, okay, this is this is that situation. Oh, you gets the ball. You're only up 10. If you can go punch a touchdown in, it becomes a three-possession game, all that stuff. Then OU has a, a bad drive and punts. And you're going, oh, no, oh, no. And uh, But even though TCU was able to tack on a touchdown, OU goes straight back down the field, puts it in. Um, TCU has a has a play that looked like it was a score and then it's rightly pulled off the board due to a good call on the field. And then OU gets the ball back 
gets down the field and kicks the field goal. So it's one of those things where finally you saw a little growth out of this unit where they were able to sure they had one bad drive, but they were able to break it up. There were no consecutive punts, no turnovers, nothing like that out of this offense. Right. Well, and in a way that's complimentary football, because again, if you're playing, if TCU remember two weeks ago, everyone thought this TCU team's pretty good after they took it to Texas. I mean, and granted, when I say took it, they, they scored a lot of points. Yeah, it was close in the end and everything like that. Texas had a shot if they don't fumble the ball. But, you know, people were pretty high on this team. So if TCU's half of that team people thought they were, you're not going to have every drive finish in success. You're going to have some three and outs where you stumble because, hey, they make some plays. And guess what? When your defense is out there, even on a good defense, guess what? They're going to make some plays and score. What I liked out of this team today was they had answers. Like you say, it wasn't just, oh, they just gave me an uppercut by scoring that touchdown. I'm out for a standing eight count. They're going to score two more touchdowns. That was complimentary football today. They went out and they said, all right, we took your punch. Guess what? Here's ours right back at you because you're not going to do that to us. So that's a growing step for this team, I thought, on both sides of the ball. And I think a lot of that is credit to Again, TJ Pledger for being the the consistent, the the constant there in the run game, but also Spencer Rattler. Because today, Spencer Rattler's freshman mistakes were the freshman mistakes you can live with. There was a player or two that um, TCU had great coverage, and he held onto the ball one second too many when he probably should have just thrown it away, took a sack, and then some read option troubles, which... Um, that's what that's going to bring up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think anyone's super worried about the zone read stuff. Uh, maybe it's just as simple as... Um, a young quarterback wanting to call his number and be the playmaker, something like that. Um, and that's to be expected out of a, a quarterback that's been basically told he's God's gift to quarterback his whole life because of that, you know, unbelievable arm talent. Like, that's not really a negative. Mm-hmm. That's a learning moment, but no, not the turnovers. And when he was running around, I was paying extra close attention to this today, Randy, because he said that this week is that he can't run around just holding the ball with one hand, stuff like that. Every time he's scrambling, the ball was very secure. He was really poised and getting his feet set again, even after he scrambled to, to throw some of these passes around. It was the fresh mistakes you could live with today, a measured performance. And I mean, anyone out there that's going to bag on a dude who averaged 25 and a half yards per completion is insane. Because looking at 13 completions for 330 is just an enormous number. Yeah, I mean, it, it's impressive. I mean, today what he did, it goes to show because, again, I think you and I have both said this. It goes to show he was already playing really well as a freshman quarterback. When you look at his overall numbers and then his performance today, 25 yards average per completion and mixing it up to different receivers. It's not like he had that freshman syndrome that you see some guys that have, let's say, Marvin Mims, you know, a guy that stud catches two long balls and he's the only guy he focuses in on. He was spreading the ball around. He didn't force anything today. I mean, and that was the other thing I liked. Not only did he not have any turnovers today, what was great, Ryan? You didn't see him trying to force any of those dumb throws that, oh, okay, he still ended with no turnovers, but three of them did hit DBs in the numbers. Yeah, he wasn't even close. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, there was never that moment where you gasped like, oh, he got lucky there. Like you say, it was more, I held the ball for a second too long, took a sack, you know? Things like that. If he's already grown to maybe, and it's one game, again, it's one game. But if he's grown enough to know, I don't make these dumb throws, we're going to be in pretty good. 
and now all he's got to learn is I don't I need to hold the ball a half second longer in these situations. The upside for him, which is already tremendous, goes up that much more. Yeah, and I think too, um, even some of the plays that he held the ball a little bit longer, that kind of goes back to it, it's obvious the game plan was to attack this TCU defense vertically. When you have those two guys on the line of scrimmage so often, there's just not as many underneath routes to find. And and a defense like TCU is probably going to cover up a lot of those. So next week against Texas Tech, if he's holding onto the ball and there's guys open underneath, that's where you kind of circle back and go, okay, he just needs to take what the defense has given him. He got into home run mode, which again, we've seen experienced Baker Mayfield that that was the mode that he would clock into sometimes of mm-hmm. um, if, if things went poorly for a driver too. sometimes you'd see Baker try to force it downfield even as a senior so it's one of those things that if you're already graduated to that level of making those mistakes um, you're in a good spot well I was gonna say let's be real quarterbacks love to throw touchdowns exactly and if they're throwing the deep ball and they're scoring yeah they're gonna start zoning in like you say it's like forget that underneath stuff man look at my numbers and that's not Rattler because some people say ego. That's quarterback. If all of a sudden I can throw seven passes and have seven 50-yard touchdowns, that's what they're going to go for. And that's kind of what it felt like happened today. But it's not a negative. That's what was there. And you wonder, Ryan, you mentioned the underneath stuff. How much of that was because Patterson's a great defensive coach. He saw kind of what what Iowa State and Kansas State did to Oklahoma that got in the freshman's head. You know, did they try some of that on the underneath stuff? Like, no, you know, because oh, you hadn't proved really they could do the consistent long ball. Right, we'll take our chances, and they got burned by doing that. It it backfired. Well, and it's funny too because so I haven't watched the game back obviously since we watched it live, but I felt like OU was in max protect a lot for a TCU defense that really didn't bring a ton of outrageous stuff at this at, at Spencer Rattler. I felt like they, they tried to fool him in coverage and not with pressure. But um, one other thing before we go on a little Gary Patterson tangent here, because uh, a lot of interesting stuff from the head ball coach there. An- another thing to note, not only was Spencer Rattler efficient and safe with the football in that second half, six of eight passing like yeah. this. He continued the trend of, Later in the game, he set this. Well, I guess it, it wasn't a trend when he did it in overtime in, in the Cotton Bowl because the first time he'd done it. But later in the game, protected the ball, was really efficient, made the smart decisions and didn't do anything today to give TCU even a glimmer of hope to try and spark a comeback at all. No doubt. And you mentioned six of eight, and I believe it was in the second half. Charleston Rambo had a drop that was a long ball again. That was would have been another 50 yard touchdown. I mean, so. That that's one of the incompletions of the two. And and that was like you say, I, I thought you would see him grow up a lot after what he performed like in overtime against Texas. That's one of those moments, even if Texas isn't great this year, that was a huge rivalry game. That's one of those moments as a young quarterback. It can go one of two ways. You can get really cocky after winning that game thinking. I can do whatever in the world I want to at this level. Look what I just did in overtime. Or you can use that as a momentum builder to go, I'm pretty dang good. I can do whatever I want, but also I need to do this to win. And that's what I like seeing today. You didn't see the cockiness. You saw a kid that learned and said, ah, this is how I can be pretty damn dominant at the Division I level. Well, yeah, OU Texas is always one of those games where, you know, we've seen this over the past decade. It doesn't matter how good or bad Texas is that game means 
so much more to both of those teams playing it that it could be between two winless teams and it'll be one of the most competitive football games all year long just because of what that game means and all that stuff. But I want to get to this Gary Patterson stuff here. We've got, where do we even start? First off, Gary Patterson calling the timeouts at the end of the game when Lincoln's just trying to kneel the ball out and Lincoln is pissed because I think Lincoln's over here going, what the hell, bro? I've been trying to sit on the ball for the whole fourth quarter. Make yeah. you guys look good. And this is how you treat us. You've got Gary Patterson with the uh, the broadcast was alleging that he was trying to prevent some sign stealing. You've got him punting on fourth and short in the third quarter, waving the white flag already in plus territory. What the hell is Gary Patterson doing today? I don't know, but the last drive is the one I really want to shoot him for. I was running the social media account for the franchise, and I did my graphic with the final score, oh, 31-7, or 31-14, or whatever, or 30-14, to 14, right? Accidentally hit send, because I'm like, all right, they're taking the knee. I go ahead and sit, hit send, thinking I'm going to be smart, and it's going to be up as soon as the game ends. And then they go timeout, and I'm like, what the... I'm like, and then before, like all social media, I can't get it deleted before somebody goes, in time. 33. and I'm like, you're just like, I'm like, Thank what you. was that? Yeah, I didn't understand any of that because they have this supposed really good relationship and none of today's game made sense. And some of those moves, like you say, the sign stealing, it's the same stuff they do every year in the sense of him showing signs. Do they well, really think that's the big difference? Here's the thing. They got beat by the same damn play like three times. That that leak concept that that Riley and Rattler just hit him over the head with. I don't right. think I'm not thinking that was as uh, oh they stole the sign. Let's audible into this. I think they were going hey we got the look we wanted. It worked the last time. Oh we'll do it again. Oh, we'll ha- oh shoot it happened one more time. Like come on now. I th- I think this is one of those things where. Gary Patterson's just a crabbier guy and he has great relationships off the field, but he's just super competitive and crabby. And I think that honestly, Randy, I truly think it's starting to wear on him that he cannot get one over on Lincoln Riley. The last time that TCU won year before Riley got here, that Trevor Knight trip down the Katy Perry game. So I think it's just one of those things that cause like, like I was talking to, again, I was talking to Keegan Renault about, I always, when I think of Gary Patterson and Lincoln Riley, flash back to the Rose Bowl with mm. um, OU and Georgia. Sorry, trigger warning, OU fans. But they always do that coach's cabana or whatever the, the coach's can yeah, on, there, on the yeah. multicast. And Gary Patterson, I, I will always remember Gary Patterson just blatantly being like, this is the play that's happening. Okay, here's what's happening. Right before OU did it. And I was just blown away. Like, this OU team, I mean they beat TCU pretty handily twice that season. And when the great defensive mind can stand there on the sideline and tell you what's happening pre-snap and he cannot stop Lincoln Riley and this offense twice in that season, that's when I was truly just blown away. And so it's one of those things that is he just frustrated that he just, for whatever reason, can't put it together to beat Lincoln Riley. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, or is it even this, this year, because after watching TCU now a couple of games, you know, and it's not taking anything away from Oklahoma. This is his worst team I've seen Gary Patterson build at TCU. You know, as far as it just seems like, because the defense isn't there, like used to at least if the offense was struggling, you know, it wasn't that it was a dominant defense, but Gary Patterson had really good players that were out there making plays. And he's got one or two guys, you know, but in the grand scheme of things, I, I don't see a big upside for them the rest of this season. And I'm just kind of wondering if it's a little bit of what you were talking about 
and the other part is just the frustration of like, I know what we need to do. My guys just aren't getting it right now. Right. They, they can't do it. So I'm wondering if it's a little bit of frustration on both sides, because I, I can only imagine being a guy that's a defensive quote unquote guru. And you see out there, we're not going to be able to do what I want to do. Yeah. And it's one of those things that that defensive line doesn't have that stud defensive end that we're used to seeing. And, and honestly, I, I cannot see a world in which uh, Cumbie and Meacham come back to run that TCU offense for another year, because this is the second or third year in a row that they look like they're lost there. I don't know. I don't know what their identity is other than pointlessly trying to beat Oklahoma at the boundary, which that's not going to happen. Like Alex Grinch's defense just don't get beat stringing out to the boundary. They get beat by a missed tackle or going vertical. So I, I don't I just I don't understand how you can watch any OU tape from the last two years and say, this is how we want to attack this team. No, no doubt. And I'll say this about their offense, too. Just in general, remember when Cumbie and Meacham were together that's the first time? They were rolling. Right. That offense had a clue. And, you know, once it was Meacham, right, that left and went to Kansas to be the offensive coordinator at the time. I think once they so. Split, once they split up, it's like that never got back to what it was. And it's so interesting because... I'll be, I'll be honest, when they did that, when TCU did that that year with those two, I was like, okay, because I already knew Patterson was a good coach. I was like, this team's on the cusp. Right. If Texas continues to struggle, to be in that best team besides Oklahoma, right there to be like Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, TCU. It was is it what was, I was thinking. It was Art Bryles Baylor and Gary Patterson's TCU. Not And yeah. at that time, not only were they fighting for being that next best team, they were fighting to say, we're going to try and be so good that OU now has to try and battle us, two, and Texas, and a and You were worried that that could have been not a permanent dip to OU, but that could have been what ended the Bob Stoops era of not being yeah. able to be so dominant just because so many other teams jumped up and were elite in Texas at that time. Yeah, no doubt. And But it's like Meacham goes and takes the job, and next thing you know, it's like, Tumby can't get it going and they're back together. And it's like, it just seems like, all right, don't know what's happening, you know? And so it's very, very interesting. And I, I think that'll be an interesting story to follow along on the year with TCU, where this team goes, because to be honest, Hey, they're not going to help Oklahoma out the rest of the year, but they might at the same time, they do have to play Oklahoma state. And we'll get into that a little later, but Oklahoma still needs a lot of help. Yeah, I, I have one quick theory that just came to me. Perhaps, and I don't know what member of the coaching staff did this, but perhaps someone sold their soul to the devil for whatever juice that they put into Trayvon Boykin that one year for him to go from a scrub quarterback to a Heisman contender. Because they have not been the same team since then. No. Like, since that happened, they've been hapless offensively. And uh, the the defense, it's like as good as Patterson defenses are, when you're at TCU, you're not going to have those elite guys that you're not going to be able to do that every single year and, and keep that offense afloat in this conference. So I, I, yeah. I think it's time that we start investigating who sold their soul for Trayvon Boykin's uh, glory. He is Boykin, and that's why no matter what, it hasn't gone right. It was just I mean, him. true. Maybe. And he's just he's just residually cursed the Horn Frog since then. Yeah. Somebody else is going to have to go make another sacrifice because, yeah, I don't know what's going to go on. 
you know, I know we've been on for a while, but just real fast, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't even talk a little Big 12 in the sense of what happened there. The Maybe the best game of the weekend, you know, it's Oklahoma State, Iowa State, and we've gone back and forth I mean, during the bye week. We talked about scenarios for Oklahoma, but hey, Iowa State ends up losing today, and we, we said in a way it was easier for them, for Oklahoma to make it to the Big 12 if they won. But right. now, hey, they lost. Ass Alley. How do you say his name? Yes. I always uh, no, it's, it is it is Ass Alley from now on. Assley is no more. Yeah. It is Ass Alley as he absolutely cost Iowa State a chance at that game with some yeah. chip shots. Nine points. Nine points off the board because Ass Alley. Yes. Sounds like a, you know, I hope he never goes to jail because the Ass be Alley will be open. Yes. Yeah, it will be exactly. open. Open for business. Maybe yeah. uh, R.I.P. Sugars. Maybe Sugars and Ass Alley needed to get together and uh, it would have prevented that uh, yeah. unfortunate ending there. No doubt. But, you know, I mean, you look at that now. Now, if you're an Oklahoma fan, because not that you thought Kansas, even with the backup quarterback, was going to beat Kansas State. K-State still undefeated. You, you need these tiebreakers to start getting factored in there. That's where, you know, you look at it. TCU's out of the picture. They've already played Kansas State. They've already played Iowa State. They didn't do their job for Oklahoma. You're going to need some of these teams to step up and get some victories, at least one more over Iowa State, and then you need two more teams to settle in there with two losses. Texas actually winning today was big for Oklahoma. Right. I mean, they own that tiebreaker. And so you look at the weekend of Big 12, it didn't go exactly Oklahoma's way, but in some ways, you at least now have a direction to go as an Oklahoma fan because we had three or four different scenarios. After Oklahoma State won today, you kind of know, all right, this is what we need. We need Kansas State to have two losses. We need Iowa State to have two losses. Texas, Oklahoma, everyone just kind of knock each other off from here on out. Although this was the best case scenario for Ryan's dream, which is technically, I think it's still alive now where if Texas wins out, and Oklahoma wins out, and everything else shakes out the way it needs to shake out, we could have a five-way tie for first place in the Big 12 with Kansas State, Iowa State, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Texas all having two losses. I think that's technically still on the table, and that's what I'm now actively rooting for. Oh, we couldn't get that lucky, because you know who'll screw it up? And I don't even know the scenarios. You know who'll screw it up? The Big 12. Yes. Regardless of what happens, just the conference in general will find a way to screw that up. I just got because then it's just incredible. Just incredible if that were to happen where you have a five way tie for a second. But once you're champion, right, Randy? Exactly. Exactly. Hey, one other thing. And, and it goes back to the game today. I love Joe Tessitore. We love Holy Moly. He's hilarious on it. And I love his play by play stuff. But he and Greg McElroy today. It was like, did they realize they were doing the Oklahoma TCU game? In the first half, they were talking about everything but the game. I have so many thoughts on this broadcast. First off, the sound mixing team needs to get fired because the crowd mics were so hot that you could barely hear the announcing team at all. Secondly, I don't even blame Testor on this because I don't know what stick McRoy has up his ass that he hates OU so much. I think Tess was just like, wow. 
the hate is coming in real strong for McElroy because like there was that play right off the bat where as soon as the first instant where Buki was on the sideline, the flag was thrown and it ended up being on TCU and McElroy immediately is like, when you turn on this tape, all you see is bad stuff from 44. Then he's over here doing yeah. this. And then the call goes the other way and Tess like throws it to him. And like McElroy's just like speechless. And it happened like two or three more times. I think he actually defended Woody Washington on that pass interference. That was kind of questionable. But other than that, McElroy is just a pain in the ass, stick in the ass. And I think that Tess was almost like, okay, this is very awkward. And I'm just going to keep, I'll promote everything we can to not have to go to McElroy hating on OU. It's bizarre. It is. But today I was just like, God. And I knew as soon as flipped on the TV, I didn't look at the game notes to see who the announcing crew was. And I was like, oh, Tess tour. Yeah. And I was like, oh, because he's awful. Does Tess have the worst luck? Because he gets put on that Monday night team from hell that was never going to succeed because of the Witten, right. Booger, all that stuff. Then he's come back to college, and we saw, we saw, we heard some genuine joy that he's matched up with Holly Rowe, stuff like that. And then yeah. it's Greg McElroy. Like that, that broadcast is not going to be great no matter what Joe does with it because McElroy just sucks. Yes. I mean, he's just awful. Wait, was McElroy the quarterback in the Sugar Bowl? I don't think so. I thought it was no, McCarran. That was too- that was McCarran. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think it was Same McCarran. Number. But maybe, it was. maybe it, was. it was. No, it was McCarran. It was McCarran. Same number. Both were 12. Just yeah. a little, maybe yeah. still a little butthurt that his alma mater got re there. Just like, but anyway, I just had to get into that because I was going nuts going, please stop talking. Yeah, it please was, stop. it was bizarre. So um, interesting, but hey, they got through it. The suitors put in four complete quarters. And, and like I said, it, it shouldn't really be. Um, you shouldn't have to sweat anything out here over the next couple of weeks. Texas Tech in prime time, Halloween in Lubbock, sure, but the stadium's not filled. Then you got Kansas, then you got a bye week. Um, it's kind of the ideal time for Oklahoma to bleed some of this youth and, and figure out who are the 11 we're going to roll with initially on each side of the ball heading into that big Bedlam game. Yeah, because that Bedlam game is going to be huge, and I do think you don't get ahead of yourself. you got to go do the right things to win. But at the same time, use these games to make sure Harrison, make sure Murray are ready. Know where Stevenson hopefully is, you know, where he's at going to be in this. Ronnie Perkins is coming back. And hey, Oklahoma fans, all's not lost. Yes, Oklahoma State is in the top five after this week by the rankings. But I watched the game today. They're not this most invincible team in the world. You know what I mean? Brees Hall had 180 yards rushing on them. Right, You know, I mean, it's like everyone builds up a defense, but it's like, all right, they're not world beaters. They still have mistakes and everything like that. And if Oklahoma continues to develop over these next couple of weeks and then the bye week, they're in a pretty good spot at home because they've got the psychological lead in this game before it even starts, no matter what anyone says. And I'll tell you, it's going to be a lot of fun to see that bizarre that this is what we're excited to preview, but that Oklahoma front and the Oklahoma state defensive front, those are two very active groups. And and that'll be an exciting game just because I think for the first time in a while, we're going to get a, a sincerely hard hitting physical rendition of Bedlam. It'll look something more like we're used to seeing in the red river rivalry games than I think uh, Bedlam over the last few years. So I'm excited for that. I fully agree, and I know it's a few weeks away, so we'll talk about it later on, but I'm with you. I think it's going to be a fun game. It's going to be physical, and, you know, when you talk about the defensive line of Oklahoma, I started thinking about this today. 
you watch Perion Winfrey play, and you're kind of like, I, I don't want you to step back or anything at all, but oh God, don't 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 get too good because it would be nice to have him here for one more season at least. I know. Like, I think that uh, you're not going to get the full two years that he'll be eligible because of the free year stuff like that. But uh, just chill out a little bit, bro. It's OK. Yeah. It's OK. Give him one more year. Don't you want to play in another year? You know, when it's a full yeah. knock on wood, 12 games. Don't you want to yeah. experience, you know, Owen Field with 85,000 fans at least once? Like, yeah. Or at least 50,000, whatever they may oh. be up to next year. I mean, Randy, knows? we are we are rounding the corner today. Randy, Randy, we're rounding the corner. It's going to be good. Everything's fine. That's what I'm told from the people in charge. And uh, they wouldn't tell me that if they were lying. So before we get out of here, uh, or before we do any more damage, I think it's time that we get out of here. Uh, again, <laughs> oh, it's definitely time. Yeah. At Radio's Ryan on Twitter, at RJ Heights 1077. Quick shout out to Randy. He almost nailed the score prediction. He five nailed. Five points off. Yeah, five points off. Um, I almost screenshot you. I got to doing some other stuff at halftime. Uh, Nebraska was only down a yeah. touchdown at halftime. That played out kind of how we thought it would of the blowout, but Nebraska keeps it close. Uh, the pleasure thing, like we were on it this week, like not to toot our own horn, but listen to our shit. We know what we're talking about. No doubt. I mean, I, I wasn't trying to be cocky when I tweeted those things out, but I was like, holy crap. Once he checked in and started doing what he did in the second, I'm like, okay, I said that. And then I noticed the score. See, I blame Patterson for that. I was three points off until he called a timeout. Oh, that Patterson, he screwed a lot Calls of people because we, uh, like I said, I picked 38 28. Um, I don't think that they're getting close to 28, but I also didn't think that Patterson was going to start throwing in the white flag with seven minutes on the clock in plus territory in the third quarter. I'm like, what the hell are you doing, bro? How about, okay, sorry, not to go back to it, but McElroy, when he's like, and they're going to go for it, and he's like, wait, wait. Okay, they're <laughs> it's like, when even that idiot's going, what are you doing? That's that's the time when you should be concerned if you're Patterson. I, I bet Lincoln, I, I think that's what makes Lincoln so mad. Lincoln's like, look, you did the coach speak thing. You obviously conceded the game in the third quarter. Why yeah. the hell are you calling the timeouts now? I, I'm not running the score up on you. We could score seven more here. Gary Patterson's one of a kind. We need to protect him at all costs, and we need to continue to use his music as bumper music coming in and out of commercial breaks. I love every minute of it. It's awful, and I love it. Awful. Awful. It's awful, but you know what's not? The Heisman Park Rangers here on the Highball Network. As always, um, subscribe, download, leave a rating, leave a review. Um, we love your feedback and give us a follow. Again, at RJ Heights 1077, at Radios Ryan. Stay glued to those Twitter feeds. We've got something really cool coming for you this week. Very exciting podcast. You won't want to miss it. As well as our midweek pod, we'll preview the Red Raiders and Halloween in Lubbock. Randy, you got anything else for the people before we get out of here? No, I think that's it. Yeah, okay. Uh, it's going to be, I mean, you know, what else can we do to destroy our podcast? So well, we better wrap it up. Right now, Cincinnati's up 28 to 10 with about 13 and a half minutes left. And for entertainment purposes only, I need the Bearcats to close this one out. Yeah, well, that. And, well, how about the World Series right now? It's turned into a Big 12 football game. No one can pitch. No, no one can pitch. Uh, I, again, uh, screw you. Uh, if you listen to the radio this week at all, uh, screw you OKC Dodgers fans who just disregard the Red Hawks. I hate all of you. Anyway, I'm sure we made a lot of friends there. Let's get out of here. Uh, Randy's got some baseball to get to, and I've got some entertainment purposes to uh, attend to here on the other screen. So uh, stay tuned. Hopefully we'll have uh, maybe some extra podcasting this week. Who knows? We'll see you all next time.